I have seen the future, the future of gardening, and it is sustainable gardening. And really, no matter what kind of gardening you like, whether it's formal gardens or informal gardens or woodland gardening or full sun gardening, or even if you want to have a lawn, there are ways to do this so that you add more to the earth than you take away and leave the place better off than you found it. Join me today on Kendrew's Real Dirt for my guest, Saxon Holt. Clem Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. Hello again and welcome. It's Ken Drews and you are listening to Ken Drews Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I'm so glad you could join me and join me today with my guest, Saxon Holt. Saxon Holt is, has been a lifetime gardener, a lifelong gardener, and he spent most of his professional time as a commercial photographer. But in 1985, he found that he could, well, as he's going to tell us, no longer stay indoors. And living in Northern California, he has found that combinations of climate and plants and adventurous gardeners uh, has been a constant source of inspiration. And if you've ever traveled, especially to Northern California, you know that is the case. When you can garden 10 to 12 months a year, you want to. When you can grow just about anything, you want to. And we're finding new ways to try and grow more sustainably, especially in a, in a climate where you can grow anything, but there are limitations, and the major limitation in California is water. So if you have to garden with less water, then you have to find ways to have the garden of your dreams, but in a, sustain, a sustainable manner. And that may be just capturing the water from your roof during rainstorms so that you can use that on your lawn if you want to have a lawn, or as many Californians are deciding, they're not having a lawn. And they may be having gravel in the front yard or doing the entire front yard in succulents. But certainly in California, gardens go right to the street. They go right to the sidewalk, not like on the East Coast where you have a simple lawn and if you have a fancy garden, it's in the back of the house. In California, many of the front gardens are more elaborate and more interesting than the ones in the back. And that's certainly the case in Portland, Oregon, too. But Saxon Holt, the photographer, is my guest today, and he's from Northern California, and he's going to tell us how his work has become more focused on the relationship between gardens and the land. But not just artistically, uh, Saxon has become a major voice in the sustainability movement. If we believe that there is a movement, and I think that there is, his appreciation and wonder for plants has allowed him to explore ways that gardeners enhance the landscape with plants, and his photographs reveal how plants can move, how they move in the wind, how they are anchored to the ground, and how they excite the senses. Uh, Saxon has a couple of books that are out right now. One is Hardy Succulents, written by Gwen Kalides, and that's not just things from California. That's things that you can grow in cold climates. And his new book is The American Meadow Garden, which is getting a lot of attention written with John Greenlee. So stay tuned for Saxon Holt right now. Hello, Saxon. Good morning, Ken. Hi. It's great to speak with you. You are one of the best and the best-known garden photographers in America. 
And uh, I can easily say that. And certainly on the West Coast. <laughs> I don't know. I to... And I'm interested. I'm honored to be one of the best. I certainly don't stand the best. There's so many wonderful garden photographers these days. Um, it's much different from 25 years ago when I started, but there are many, many great garden photographers around today. Well, tell me a little bit about how you started in garden photography. Well, it's mainly because I just love being outdoors. I'm a gardener myself. I, I first started photography in, in college, I guess, when I was at the University of Virginia. I was a, um, a photo editor of a newspaper, and then I migrated to California to sort of seek my fame and fortune uh, in photography, uh, being scared of New York and being too big a place. I, I thought uh, California was a place to go, and I was very fortunate to have an apprenticeship with a master commercial photographer for 40 years, and I started my own commercial business um, in 1980, and I realized after three or four years, I just wasn't happy working indoors all the time and dealing with the advertising culture. I'd always been a um, gardener, and I remember one day very distinctly, a friend of mine showed me a gardening magazine with a story of begonias in it, and I looked at it, and this light bulb went off, and I said, you know what? I could do better than that. And also, there's actually a market for garden pictures. I had no clue. I, I had grown up as a, uh, I liked gardening because my, my family, my parents, but I was more of the instructive. My father would say, you know, pull the weeds or cut the grass. Or it wasn't anything from book learning. And I just had this, you know, epiphany, really, and when my friend showed me her begonia story. And I said, I, you know, I would like to shift my business around and, and um and become a garden photographer. And I just started slowly, and um, the rest is history. We don't need to go into the details of all the uh, places I've been, but that really was how it started. Well, garden photography and magazines and publishing have changed a great deal, and we'll, we may get into that too, but I'm very interested in how you have become so interested in sustainable gardening which is something we hear all the time, you know, that word sustainable is just thrown around. But uh, you, you're you kind of uh, spearheading a, a movement to a certain extent, certainly as far as communicating about sustainable gardening. Well, thanks. I, I appreciate you saying that. I'm trying to get started doing that. I think a lot of writers have been speaking about that for many years. I mean, it goes back to the you know, organic movement. I mean, there, there's nothing new about trying to have gardens that are uh, healthy for the earth. I think um, part of my um, understanding as a photographer is seeing that, especially being on the West Coast, um, I deal with national gardening audience, but often the national books are, are, don't pertain to Western gardeners, at least the, the pictures we see. The information is often great, but the pictures don't relate to that, and they don't lead to something that is success and, and therefore unsustainable. And I, I think that the best way to sustain gardens is through the gardeners' own energy themselves, how much they can sustain their efforts. And, and if it's the pictures that we see don't apply to the gardens that we're trying to do, then we're going to lead to success and therefore unsustainability. So I, I've just been trying to change the aesthetic, really, what people expect to see in a garden picture, and certainly for the West Coast. I think um, there are many wonderful uh, East Coast and English-style garden photographers who have somewhat dominated the media perception of what pictures are and um and that's just not that doesn't lead to a sustainable model of in the west coast certainly and so i'm i'm, I'm trying to learn more about what the whole idea of sustainability looks like and not simply what it's what it's 
I, I've been using this term, in fact, on this current lecture tour, the words um, valid and authentic as gardens that are sustainable. Um, if, if a garden is not authentic, if it hasn't lived for a while, it hasn't been sustained, and therefore it's not sustainable. So I think it's really important in the media, in the visual media, the photographers, to show gardens that are have been around a while. They're authentic. They, they have stood the test of time a little bit and therefore become valid models of sustainability. Well, what are some of the aspects of a sustainable West Coast garden that you could point to? I mean, obviously, acres of lawn in a place without water is not a sustainable model, but what are some of the things that you have found? Well, foremost is, is uh, sensitivity to water issues. It's, um, we, as a society, we, we've collectively decided we will have municipal water. We don't expect everyone to have a no-water garden or to have their own wells or have gardens that are totally um, non-irrigated and totally made of plants. So the first thing we really have to come to grips with, with the term sustainability, is how do we sustain gardens when water is not ever-present? Um, and I think we, we, we say that by, uh, well, we, we, as, a, as I say, as a society, we, we've made certain decisions for a collective benefit, and making dams and digging the aquifers is something we have to do. Um, we have to decide how to allocate it sensibly, um, and that's a huge issue. But for the West Coast, the, the first issue of sustainability is, is the water and how to use it effectively um, in proper amounts that you can keep the garden looking good throughout the year. No one really wants a garden that goes totally dormant in the summer and looks you know, really ratty by September and October before the rains come. So we, we have to use um, some water. And after that, the, the obvious parts of sustainability are you know, organics, using healthy uh, soils, good native plants, um, using uh, various plants that encourage good habitat for the pollinators, for the insects and birds. Um, and beyond those obvious things, part of what I, I find people are really interested in is uh, on-site uh, yard waste, not necessarily taking everything to the dump, um, using a reduced use of mowers and, and lawnmowers so we don't uh, using uh, oil and gas and we're not putting fumes into the atmosphere. Those are sort of common ideas universally about sustainability. Um, and the last, as I said earlier, it's the sensitivity around water that really is, is most important. Um, it's actually a little bit interesting. The, the anti-lawn movement is very popular in the, in the West Coast. And, and in fact, the, uh, the, the subtitle for, for the book, the American Meadow Garden book, is something to do with getting rid of um, the traditional lawn. And, and it's, people are very uh, politically passionate about that in, here in, in the West. But I noted with interest, um, last year I was at the Garden Writers Conference back in Raleigh, and a number of uh, gardeners and garden writers from the East Coast uh, met together around a table talking about um, the lawn reform movement. And I was struck by the realization that in the East Coast, lawns are not quite such a... Um, a bad process for the environment. They really, there's much more water, and being able to mow a lawn is really a way just to mitigate uh, the weeds and the mosquitoes. One can question how big a lawn you should have and whether you should use fertilizers and fungicides to keep it healthy, but the lawn itself is not necessarily a uh, high, high um, uh, economic disadvantage type of um, uh, a garden. So it's, it's, it's really a West Coast phenomenon that really the traditional law needs to be rethought.
Well, as you're saying this, I'm thinking of Palm Springs and the golf courses and how everybody wants everything <laughs> to look lush. But I'm speaking with Saxon Holt, uh, one of America's greatest photographers, garden photographers. And we'll be back in just a moment. Clem's Song Sparrow Farm and Nursery grows extraordinary herbaceous perennials, uncommon trees and shrubs, and a selection of luxurious peonies. Song Sparrow Nursery is a proud underwriter of Kendrew's Real Dirt. Songsparrow.com, S-O-N-G-S-P-A-R-R-O-W.com. Hello, and thank you for staying with me. It's Ken Drews, and you're listening to Kendrew's Real Dirt, The Garden Show. I'm speaking with Saxon Holt, who is a West Coast garden photographer and also one of the champions of the sustainable gardening movement. And as Saxon's been telling us, this is not really a new thing. It's been going on for as long as the organic gardening movement and probably before the introduction of chemical-based fertilizers and things like that. It was going on before that, too, when people had animals and had land and could recycle everything and nothing would leave the land. And of course, that's what we want to do today, too. But Saxon, you were just talking about sustainability and the problems with water on the West Coast. But in the rest of the country, um, as you pointed out, lawn here, well, my lawn in in northwestern New Jersey, I've never fertilized it or put any chemicals on it at all. And I actually, I don't water it either, but it doesn't look so great in August. But it's alive and it's it is breathing and it's better than asphalt. Uh, so I guess sustainability could be different things in different places. Oh, absolutely. Um, in fact, I was really struck. Um, I think many, you and many of your listeners probably know the work of Rick Dark. And he has a new book, which is really a takeoff of William Robinson's great work called The Wild Garden, which was done in the 19th century and advocating for a, a naturalistic look in gardens and using plants that are adapted to the site. And that's really what leads to sustainability, whatever the site is, be it a jungle, the East Coast, the desert, the Pacific Northwest, there are many wonderful plants that can be used in any region, not necessarily native. I think most gardeners um, appreciate natives, but but we all have this love for the exotic plant, and we want to push the limit for something we've seen and want to try, Um, but at the core of the sustainability garden are plants that are adapted to the site. Mm Mm-hmm. The right plant in the right place, as they say. Exactly. Well, as a garden photographer and a garden communicator, and you've worked on many books, uh, I'm interested in discussing with you also uh, what what are your thoughts about the future of publishing and the future of garden photography? Well, wow. <laughs> no one has the answers for that, much less myself. Um, you know, publishing is, is changing rapidly. The... the um, dissemination of ideas has changed so much, uh, really, uh, ever since the printing press. But then the more modern technology gets, the more ways people with ideas have to disseminate them. You know? And then you know, radio changed things a lot, um, the ability to get information out to a broader audience. Now, obviously, the Internet has made it um, much more easier to get information out to people. Um, my job and your job as well is communicating to people and finding the best way to get information to them. I, I think we have to acknowledge the electronic media is a, a great way to get information to people, and a lot of people these days really depend upon the Internet to go find information. 
the weak link in it that I find is so much. There's so much information out there. A lot of it isn't authentic. It hasn't been uh, properly cross-referenced, and you're not really sure who the authority is. And a lot of information you can find out there on the internet. Um, what I'm hoping will happen is for those of us who are need to make a living out of it and and have information that we've considered valid. We've we've had it accrued over you know years and years of our experience. That information is, is valuable to the to the market, and and I like to think the the way the electronic media will go is that there will be certain portals or or gateways to information that um, people who are seriously interested in credible information will, will pay for and are willing to pay for to to find. Um, there's always you know going to be um, a quick way of getting information to people through the internet, but I I'm increasingly worried that it that it's just not credible. Um, I certainly deal with a lot of very busy people who, who when they go on the Internet, they, they, they express frustration in, in finding credible information. It, it's fun to go and find entertainment, you know, whether it's um, surfing the net or reading blogs and, and interacting with the social networks. and but That's very fun, but if you're looking for serious information, it can be very frustrating sometimes. So I, I don't know how it's going to shake out. I, I'd like to think publishers themselves, who are traditionally the the authorities, the, the gatekeepers, so to speak, of, of where you find the best information, the publishers themselves will become electronic. They will find ways to have electronic keys, perhaps, that you, to purchase information. Um, I think it's important to realize the, the modern generation is much more visual and interactive, so the, the static book is not going to have as much appeal. It certainly have appeal as a, as a text and, and simple information, but for entertainment, um, we really have to acknowledge that it has to be more interactive. So I, I think, um, quite honestly, photographers have a little bit of an advantage here because we are photographers and visual to start with. So if we can figure out an um, electronic medium that is, um, has hyperlinks and interactivity and the, the user can decide which group of photos they want to put together for any given um, concept, it is the way of the future. I don't, you know, the problem is no one's figured it out yet, and um, and there's a lot of money to be invested in the, in the electronic infrastructure for publishers to do that. Um, but I think it's going to have to happen. I don't think the, uh, those of us who want to communicate uh, their experience and communicate ideas, um, you know, bluntly, we need to figure ways to, to make a living from it. Yes, because uh, there's a lot out there, but nobody's paying for it. Yeah. Uh, you, you have a couple of books that have just come out. One's just come out, and... and uh, the Hardy Succulent book is, I guess that's a couple of years old now, is it? Almost? Yeah, that's, that's uh, three years old now. Um, it's interesting you brought that up because that, that book was written by um, Gwen Kalaitis, who is in, in Denver. And we, we chose the, the subject, well, the Hardy Succulents, as those succulents that, are, you know, that are live in, in colder climates, as, as a, a market that wasn't well touched. And, and we didn't photograph a single garden in California for that, because we felt that if we did, that the resulting images would be misleading to people who wanted to grow hardy succulents. If you're in you know, uh, Connecticut or Denver or Houston, and, and you see gardens that never freeze, then you're really going to be misled. And I think that was mm-hmm. really one book that really helped me understand about the, um, if you're going to show a sustainable aesthetic, it needs to be, the images need to match up with the region where the information comes from. Well, there's one book that you have that gives a lot of ideas for sustainable ornamental gardens, 
And your newer book, The American Meadow Garden, with John Greenlee, is uh, certainly about that as well, as you were saying before. Yes, it really is. It's, it's, I think it's very timely. It took us years to, to really put it together. I had done a book years ago called Grasses, and John has his own book on, on a psychopedia of grasses he'd done years ago. And both of us came to realize about three or four years ago that we really were simpatico as far as getting a book about uh, meadows out there. These are grass ecologies. They're not just not simply ornamental grasses. They're, they're whole systems. And they, they generally are gardens. I think that's the funny thing about the book. They're, they're gardeners like to, to you know, get their hands dirty. They like to try different things. And uh, John uses the term sweeteners. You, you start with grasses and you add the sweeteners, be it wildflowers or bulbs or perennials, and add those to one's own taste and, and regional adaptability. Um, but they're really gardens. They're not simply native plant uh, projects or restorations or, or simply lawn alternatives. They, they really are gardens, and they, they offer a lot of um, a lot of fun, a lot of potential, and, um, and a lot of potential maintenance too, as well. You know, it, it's better <laughs> to, to get a meadow going, but they're they're really wonderful. I have three I'm experimenting with in my own garden, trying to see what mix of grasses and wildflowers I can manage. But it's it's quite fun. I, I really enjoy it. And, you get the sense that you're doing something that's healthy for the earth. I think that's that, that, that in itself is fun, but that you know, gardeners like to, to be part of the earth. They, they like to uh, think they're doing the right thing. And so uh, that's uh, fun. Uh, tell me just in the last minute remaining, uh, what are some of the projects that you're working on now? Well, Photographically. I'm, well, I'm just finishing a book on, on herbs. Uh, Kenny Hartung is, is a herbalist in Colorado, and she's revising a book she did called, I think it's called The Hundred Herbs That Heal. It's going to be a new book called um, uh, Homegrown Herbs. It'll include more culinary herbs. And we started that last year in Colorado. And we'll be finishing that in the next month or two in California as, once the season warms up. Um, I'm starting a, a book on sustainable gardens. And we don't have a, a publisher yet. I'm working with, with Kate Fry, who's a wonderful garden designer here in, uh, in California. And my idea with that is to go look for gardens, uh, ask people around the country what are successful gardens, what, are, what have been around a while, and, and look for you know, sustainable gardens that way. Then on a personal nature, I'm, I'm photographing water. I'm looking for where water comes from, how we use it, you know, um, and how it's employed both uh, in nature and in our, our communal uh, municipal water systems. Well, those are all topics that people are interested in, and I think that you're uh, certainly on the right track, and you're even leading things. And it's it's great to speak with you, and great to hear what you're working on because uh, you have inadvertently become the man of the future. <laughs> well, I think we all try to move forward. That the future, I guess so. Back. Progress. Progress. Well, thank you again. Thank you again for speaking with me on Kendrew's Real Dirt, and uh, I'm looking forward to the new books that you'll be having in the future, even if they're electronic. Thank you very much, Kim. It's really a pleasure to be with you. Okay, take care. Bye now. Bye. I've been speaking to Saxon Holt. He was my guest on Kendrew's Real Dirt, and we were talking about sustainable gardening, the buzzword sustainable, but it really is the direction for now and for the future, and it's always been the good way to garden, and a lot of gardeners have known that for a long time, whether they realize they've been gardening sustainably or not. And we were also talking about 
Garden Publishing, the future of media, the future of disseminating information, the future of communication. And Saxon is very interested in that, and he's following it, and he's he's ahead of me because it's. I find that everything that has to do with anything is a full-time job. That can be gardening too, but it's very often publishing, radio, making a living, communicating. It's uh, they're all. If you do them really well, they they all can take a lot of time, and we're trying to find our way in this new world of new media. Where will the future bring us? Where will we be delivered? Will publishers still make books? We're not even sure. Will books be the same as they have been? Will Will books be interactive? I think that's possible. And I hope you will join me a little bit in the future next week on Kendrew's Real Dirt for another show and another interview, this time with Judith Tankard, who has a new book on Beatrix Ferrand. Join me then. <laughs>